family-owned shop in Loganville, Sosby's Garage, for all your automotive repair needs. We service all makes and models, Ford and domestic. We repair engines, alternators, brakes, alignments, AC systems, and more, using certified technicians with over 90 years of combined experience. We also offer same-day service for some repairs. Sosby's Garage, 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville. Dependable, honest, and fair. Look us up on Google or Facebook. We'll take good care of you. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey everybody, I'm your host Rick Strong, President of Paradigm Security Services. And welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. Uh, if you would, for everybody, please hit that subscribe button on whatever format and podcast uh, format you're using. And we are excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. We're coming to you from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, located in the beautiful Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. Each week we plan to feature, feature businesses in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County, as well as people that serve our wonderful county. While all businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security, and we will touch on that and all related aspects of security through the course of each show. Our guest today, I'm very happy to have the Chief of Gwinnett County Police Department, Chief Brett West. Glad to have you here, Chief. Great to be here. You know, there's so much going on in today's world revolving around police and the Blue Crew that... um, you know, this is a perfect time, really, to have you on to talk about some of this. Before I start out talking about issues and stuff, I always like to, the people that are listening to kind of hear a little bit about the person that they're listening to. So who is Brett West? I'm somebody that grew up here in Gwinnett County. I went to school all my life here in Gwinnett County, graduated from South Gwinnett High School. So uh, we moved to here in 1970. So I've been around Gwinnett County for many, many years and seen the change and evolution that this county has gone through. Um, I'm a graduate of South Gwinnett High School, as I said before, uh, a graduate of Mercer University for my undergraduate degree. Good school. Uh, and a, uh, uh, I have a master's degree from Columbus State University from, uh, in public administration. I'm also a graduate of the Georgia Law Enforcement Command College as well as the FBI National Academy. I've been with the Gwinnett County Police Department for just over 29 years. Uh, it's been a long career. My dad retired from the Gwinnett County Police Department, so it's also in the family. Uh, so, you know, when I first started, did I ever think I'd be the chief of police? No, I did not. <laughs> that was never, you know, something that I had aspired to be. Then It's just been an evolution. Again, I've been with the agency since 1991, and it has grown tremendously since then and still growing. So the opportunities uh, that I've experienced are still there for the folks that are coming in now. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Well, you know, it's, it's nice to have. That's one thing I love about Gwinnett County is uh, we talked earlier is they basically groom people to be able to fill in these positions. When someone retires, they're, they're constantly training and developing people to fill in these major slots. And it's, it's, a, it's something that they do coming up through the police department, which is an awesome way you don't go out searching for somebody to fill these slots 
you've got people that have been developed and are ready to step right in and do it. And that's just, that's something that's exceptional about our county. Well, Gwinnett County Police Department, now, I know they have requirements for uh, the reporting, the use of force. Can you kind of tell us how that works with Gwinnett County? Uh, absolutely. Um, well, one thing is we're an accredited agency, so before actually going into the policy aspect of it, it's kind of it's good to know where we get our policies from, our best practices from, and, and why we do what we do. Again, we're a nationally accredited agency through the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies. Um, and again, this was established back in the late 80s when the first, I mean the early 80s when the first agencies became accredited. In 1977, the U.S. Department of Justice provided a grant to the leading law enforcement executive associations to actually design a conceptual accreditation model. And it seemed, you know, again, I said in 1977, those are things that you're hearing to be called for today. Yep. You know, national standards, best practices, they exist already, you know, through the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies. And those 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 executive associations that were instrumental in developing this program are, you know, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, the National Sheriff's Association, and the Police Executive Research Forum. So all of these organizations and associations combine and they work together to develop those best practices and have been doing this since that time. And they've been an ongoing process where they keep improving on them. Absolutely. It's always been an evolving process. I mean, when you're talking about best practices, best practices need to be evolving because society evolves, technology evolves, information and education evolves. Things that are available to you today and information that's available to you today, you know, is different wasn't than there. what wasn't there. And it's going to be different in years to come. So it needs to always be an evolving process. Again, we became accredited in 1993, so we've been nationally accredited for 27 years now. Mm -hmm. um, I know I was with the city of Atlanta for a lot of years, and I remember when they went through the accreditation process. It's a it's a very long, very tedious, very um, – there's a lot of boxes to check off that you have to develop, and, and there was a lot of stuff that had to be done with Atlanta. Uh, to reach that accreditation process, it was a, it's a big deal. Absolutely, and it's it's something that's not easy to attain. That's correct. Nor is it easy to maintain. Again, there's over 18,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States, and about four percent are nationally accredited. Yeah, I was just going to say there's not everybody has been reached through and done the accreditation process and completed it. No, it's not because it's a very stringent process, and it's put forward so that you have the best practices in law enforcement so and you know that's beneficial for our community you know you have some way to objectively say that the policies and procedures we have in place are the best practices in law enforcement not only do we say it you have outside assessors that come in every so often for review and audits to confirm that your policies are correct but beyond going beyond the policy making sure that your practices and that you're following those policies. Yeah, the procedures, you know, having policies and all is, you know, is great to have, but they call them policies and procedures for a reason and in that order for a reason. You've got to put the policies in place, 
But more importantly, you've got to inspect what you expect, mm-hmm. and you've got to actually have the procedures that follow those policies and see that they're adhered to. Absolutely, as well as the training. So you have to have the policies and then the training on those policies. And again, like you say, the processes in, in place to make sure that um, it, it's being monitored and it's being done. So going back to the original question about use of force reporting, um, in, just in 2019, you know, when you, just to kind of put use of force in perspective. It has changed. It has changed. But just looking at just understanding how, many time, how often we actually use force. It's not as often as folks think. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2019 alone, we responded to over 500,000 calls for service. That's, that's over a half a million calls for service. And of this, there was only 254 incidents where force was applied. So at over a half a million calls for service where police interacted with the community in some way, only 254 times was force ever used. Yeah, that is just, that's amazing. And people, you know, the thing is that with with the media and everything, it is, that's what the people focus on. So it seems like it happens a lot more and people in a lot of ways are convinced that it happens a lot more when the reality is not the perception. Right. So when you define force in the the reporting of use of force, our policies re- require any application of force has to be re- reported in writing and it has to be reviewed through a chain of command to ensure that, that, that proper policies were followed, procedures were followed, and that this was a lawful application of that force. Again, any degree of force. If there's any resistance at all, even if it's just having to grab someone's hand and put it, pull it behind their back, that is an application of force. Well, I'm glad to see that Gwinnett County does do the reporting on that because, like I say, it helps to put things in their proper perspective, and we don't hear about it enough. Mm-hmm. And it's important that people understand that it is, you know, everything is reported, and it is a small, 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 less than 1% type uh, occasion. Uh, it's it's even far less than 1%. Again, when yeah. you look at 254 applications of force, it comes out to about 0.048%, which is even less than a, a half, half a percent. percent. It's amazing. Uh, and, you know, again, perception is one thing, but sometimes the way, because of its way it's reported or the, the as volatile as it may get, mm-hmm. the perception is not, in fact, the reality of what's going on. And I think we need to be reporting much more on the reality than just individualizing this and, and, you know, hyping the individual things. It needs to be understood in its proper perspective. Well, I know that one of the important things that people are talking about now is body cams. And I know that we've uh, started looking at getting body cameras even on our security personnel. What's the uh, policy with Gwinnett as far as body cameras? Well, Gwinnett County began looking at body cameras over five, six years ago. So this is not something new to Gwinnett County. Uh, The reality is the technology, the body cam technology, is an expensive uh, process. So it's not something you can just jump into when you're an agency this size overnight. It takes planning. It takes budget preparation. It takes all of those things to come into play. And, and we have gone through all that, and we are equipped. All of our patrol officers out in the field are equipped with body cameras, every single one of them. So, you know, it is our, it is our policy that you will have the body camera, and it, should, and, it, 
and it has specific procedures of that it must be turned on when you're responding to calls and and dealing you know, you know with uh, members of the public and things like that there are some circumstances where they turn it off uh, you know again if they're dealing with certain types of crimes or with juveniles or things like or that. Or sex crimes. Sometimes or, you don't want that necessarily right. on camera. So there's, you know, but that initial response, that, you know, contact, it's going to be there. You know, in times where there's applications of force. It better be on. It better be on. Uh, A lot of people think that, you know, well, I know the original worry back in the day was, well, you know, it's going to show stuff that it'll be hyped up and it'll be overblown and it'll be more used against us. But I think the more today's society has developed officers are realizing that it can be to your benefit to have those on as much if not more than it is a detriment absolutely we do consider it a benefit and most officers do consider it a benefit however it is not you know the it is not going to solve everything because a camera is just a camera it only captures what the camera is pointing towards correct it doesn't always capture everything um Again, and it doesn't add – sometimes it is, it's not giving the complete picture because, again, things can be happening off in the peripheral. Things can be happening behind someone. Things can be happening off to the side of someone. Uh, so it doesn't capture every single thing. And the other thing to remember is just because the, the camera captures it, it doesn't mean that the officer may or may not have seen it with his actual eyes. That's true. Uh, their right. eyes can be looking somewhere else while the camera's focused on just a given – focus given direction um in addition to the body cameras do y'all use cameras for your vehicles as far as the patrols we do not uh right now the only thing that we do have is the body cameras there is one exception and that's our dui task force Mm -hmm. their cars are equipped with dash cams as well well i know that and you talked about it for a little bit there i know the the object is not to have a camera the object is to have a quality camera and those are not cheap. I've invested in a couple of them, and to find the good cameras, they're expensive. And but if you don't have good cameras, it's it's like having a bank that's got a camera up there. You really can't see anything. They, all they have is a camera in place. You really can't see what's going on. Really, it's not focused. It's uh, it's it's a terrible quality stuff. And I know that I've seen some of these cameras that y'all have in place, and they are good quality cameras. They are good quality cameras, and yes, that's an expense just in the camera in and of itself, but the greater expense the is training. storage. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, because of the um, retention requirements that we have for these things, we have to keep this video for a long period of time. That That is what is a major ongoing annual cost is that storage and retention of those those videos. Yeah, you can't have 30 days and out on a on a camera on the footage because this stuff may be used 10 years from now in court process absolutely um i know that it's very important to have these but it's also important that the officers fully understand how they work the usage so therein lies the training issue that you've got to make sure these people fully understand how to use them correct and i know you know your training process the process y'all go through is, is a good process that you keep them well up on any changes that come through, and I, that's done through your actual training in the initial process, correct? That is correct. I mean, that's the way it's done now. The initial rollout, obviously, you know, we had officers here before they went through our recruit training, so there was that orientation or that uh, training, that initial training that we had to provide to everyone, but now they're trained 
and issued while they're in the academy. So when they leave the academy, they've already, you know, had it on in the academy, learned how to use it during practical exercises. So it's not new to them as soon as they uh, hit the streets out there. Well, since we brought up training, can you give a little insight about the uh, the extent of what the tr- what these officers are put through, the length of time they're put through, and the the type of training they go through with the city? I know they have the driver as well, uh, operation of vehicle as well. Uh, absolutely. Well, you know the Georgia Peace Officer Standards and Training Council is who sets the uh, the training requirements for all police officers in the state of Georgia. Um, all police officers have to attend a certified police academy in order to become certified to be a police officer. And that's certified by what we call POST. Yeah, Georgia POST, the Peace Officer Standards and Training. Um, and so Georgia, there's only, I believe, four or five departmental training academies, uh, Gwinnett Police being one, DeKalb Police, Atlanta Police. Uh, I believe down in Forsyth. Uh, Clayton and Cobb, and then Forsyth for the state, you know, yep. uh, for the state. And then there's regional academies as well, and there's some at some of the technical schools. Uh, But as a departmental academy, we train our own officers. The state requires, uh, there is a minimum requirement of 408 training hours, Mm -hmm. and it covers topics such as use of force, driving, uh, constitutional law, you know, uh, traffic law, um, criminal law, criminal procedure, de-escalation training, um, you know, impartial policing, you know, bias-based policing, those type of things. So all of those things, uh, cultural diversity, community relations, all of those things are, are given there in a 408 hours. Uh, we have to meet that state requirement. But in addition to that state requirement, we train approximately 500 additional hours before our officers are released onto the road. So they get twice the amount of training that's required by the state. And it's only to better prepare them to face the demands that they have out there. Um, you know, we do a lot of that academic training, but in the second phase of our training, we do some advanced training, but we do a lot of practical training where we're putting it scenario-based training so that recruits have the ability to experience a lot of these things in a training environment before being exposed to it in the real world. So their chance of success goes up tremendously when they have that ability to fail in a training environment. Uh, and then, you know, you can correct that without it being real world. So it, it, it better prepares that officer when they do hit the street. And then when they do hit the street, they're out there for another 10 weeks in field training. So we're looking at nine to 10 months before they're ever released on their own. And, you know, it's important to understand that through the scenario training and all where they have live scenarios that they actually go through, that each of these officers, it gives the ability to see how they interact and if they interact the wrong way because they're going to be it's a right then it's a it's an instantaneous action that you have to take just like on the street so you're able to see how they react from the from the normal way they their hit their mind works and by doing that and making these mistakes people are able to see and give them give them guidance give them instruction make corrections so that uh, that, that you change the way the thought process works I know uh, y'all have an extensive armed, uh, the firearms training and all, that is very extensive too. Really, it's more extensive than what the state requires on that end as well. It is, but it's not just about firing the weapon. Correct. Any, in any aspect of training that we do, we're always weaving in the communications piece, that de-escalation, de-escalation. piece, that community relations piece. 
you know, even though that we are trained to do, you know, the, you know, and, and apply force when we have to, the goal is not to have to. The goal is talk it down, to de-escalate the situation to where force does not have to be applied. Well, shoot-don't-shoot shoot training is paramount to a police department. Absolutely. You've got to know when not to shoot as well. And I know you all have a shoot house that is just unbelievable, to where you actually get that that second-by-second training of whether your mind wants to go to the pull the trigger or your mind wants to hold off on it so that you there again have that opportunity to de-escalate rather than just go to shoot the gun. Correct. And, and again, that's why we're so fortunate here at Gwinnett. Um, uh, the SPLOS program and stuff has b- provided us with tremendous training facility. Not only do we have the firing range itself where you're teaching officers how to fire the weapon at a target, right. we have our judgmental shooting simulators to where they're, it's not about shooting, it's about judging the situation, talking to people, and learning how to deal with the situation uh, before making that uh, decision to shoot or not shoot. But then again, we also have the live fire shoot house where we're able to, to create the most realistic scenarios that we possibly can to put our trainees through, again, so that they're better prepared, um, so that they have some, ex- some, some experience to draw from rather than just a classroom experience. And I, th- I really do think, and I think when you look at, again, you look at our use of force statistics mm-hmm. compared to the number of calls that we go to every year, you can see that this is working for us. Well, there again, it's the training on top of training on top of training. And that's a big issue that people say we need to have more training. And for a lot of departments. And we agree with that. Right. And for a lot of of departments, it's extremely important. But I think every department, it's important, like you say, that the more you look at it, the more more times that you're confronted with stuff, you realize that there's still more training that you need to do. And I know you do annual training where they're required to come back in for a certain period every year to go back through the policies, procedures, laws, and your firearms training and your shoot, don't shoot, de-escalate. All of that stuff is reiterated every year. Every single year. The state has a requirement of 20 hours uh, a year, uh, and they have specific requirements as it relates to de-escalation, use of force training, and use of force being policy training, understanding what your policy is and understanding what the law is. Um, in addition to, you know, demonstrating your proficiencies. Uh, But again, community relations, uh, de-escalation training, those are all requirements that the state has. In addition to the state requirement, we have our own internal requirements of things that are important to us that you must have in-service training on at least annually. Well, I can vouch for, I've seen a lot of the training that, uh, that Gwinnett County does and I've got an officer that lives next door to me that's just been through the last couple of years, uh, the training and all. And it's amazing. Uh, there is a, You really put it up front as far as the importance of getting that training. And I wish every department focused like y'all do on training. You'd have a, they would have a much better survival rate out there as far as, you know, not just survival of the officer, but survival of the people that are out there that you're dealing with and of the department itself absolutely and again you know we are lucky Uh, we do have the resources Uh, Gwinnett County uh, prides itself on you know making sure that our folks are are have the best opportunity to be successful 
So we're very, very lucky in that sense that our Board of Commission supports this ideal as well. Um, you know, without their support, we couldn't do these exactly. things. So, you know, and what I mean that is there's a budgetary support. There's a budgetary piece to this. They also understand the importance of training because, again, it it puts a better officer out there, a better prepared officer out there. Yeah. Well, I know that there's uh, been so much talk about chokeholds and stuff like that. What's y'all's policy on the chokeholds? Well, you know, and uh, chokeholds has been... Or yoke holds, as we called them back yeah. in the day. Yoke holds, lateral v- uh, vascular neck restraints exactly. and things like that. And they're different than a choke hold. Yes, they are. Uh, a choke hold is something that actually cuts off the airway, where a you know, vascular neck restraint is... Cuts off the carotids. Cuts off the carotids, you know, it's like the sleeper hold. And it works like a champ, I yes. can tell you. But either one has been prohibited for our our department for 25-plus years. That's it, great. And it's been in our policy. It's not just been a practice, but it's been a written policy statement that these are that these tactics are prohibited. And that makes it that makes it so that it's good that every officer coming in not only learns that it's prohibited, but they also have everybody that's behind them that's been in service for the last 25 years has already been schooled in that. So... That helps to weed out, because I know way back in the day, the, the uh, carotid hold was very, very, very much used. I know I've used it in the past many times, and um, the problem is too many people don't know how to appropriately do it, and so it's hard to train how to do it, so the best thing to do is to train not to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. If you do decide to have the uh, uh, lateral neck restraint there's a lot of training that has to go on with that a lot of demonstration of proficiency and if you don't do it all the time can you really be proficient at it exactly uh, and unless you're you know an expert in martial arts or, who've, or have had a lot of training in that tactic it's a skill that if not used very often you can hurt somebody you, you could hurt somebody or kill somebody right so uh it's it's just been something that we've prohibited uh the entire time i've been with this police department well that that's that's good news and I think it will. It's it, it it's well been well beneficial to the Gwinnett County Police Department because we've had no issues in that area. No, not in that area. So, and that's good. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of people see in the news where people are shooting at vehicles and as they're coming at them going away. Most of what you see on the news is the ones that are going away. You don't generally see the ones that are coming straight at the officer that they really afraid they're fixing to get run over. But what's y'all's policy on that? Well, similar to the chokeholds, as far as shooting at or from a moving vehicle, again, this is something that's also been uh, prohibited by our policy, unless it's an, unless that officer is an actual defense of his life, unless you know the there's someone that's actually trying to use that that car as a weapon to run them over. Uh, otherwise, it's strictly prohibited. Well, it's hard to shoot at something running at you and get out of the way at the same time. Right, and it's difficult to shoot at something that's moving and your accuracy be good because, again, you start putting other things in jeopardy. So it has to be a deadly force encounter uh, in order for that to be justified. Otherwise, it better not happen. Yeah, and and that I totally agree. Uh, that, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, shooting at a vehicle, sometimes the angles do bounce and go other places that you don't intend them to be. They do. Absolutely. And a lot of people think, well, if it hits that window, it's automatically going through. Not necessarily. No. <laughs> and a lot of people have been surprised about that. Well, I know that um, we talked a little bit about the de-escalation training. And that is something that has been more and more important. I know 
we have a, a five-hour class in our academy the last five hours before they graduate our academy that Paradigm has that it's spent on the de-escalation uh, strictly solid, just nonstop for, well, I guess it's four hours. Right. Uh, Four-hour training on de-escalation. How do you all incorporate the uh, training in de-escalation? What, to what extent do you all do it with Gwinnett? Again, um, we have the academic portion of de-escalation training, defining what de-escalation is, explaining the different types of de-escalation techniques. I mean, there's so many things that you can do to de-escalate. One is just to have that calm presence on the scene, mm-hmm. to try to be able to maintain that, trying to talk people down and get them to a place to where they're not so aggravated. Um, but while situations are tense, there's other tactics as well, such as you know, not, not closing the distance, tr- keeping a safe distance, keeping things between you, um, stalling for time till you can get other folks there. Those are all de-escalation tactics uh, that can be you know, em- employed. Um, just because we employ them don't mean it's going to work. Correct. You know, the receiver on the other end has to be responsive to it, and many times they are. Many times the situations are de-escalated. We uh, saw a recent thing on the news where that officer de-escalated that lady coming out with all those rifles and using a very forceful tone when he was getting her to, to do what he was doing, but at the same time, it, nobody got shot, nobody got hurt. That was awesome. Right, but in addition to the formal training, like I said before, it's woven into our practical exercises. So when we teach our practical exercises and we're teaching conflict and conflict resolution, whether we're teaching traffic stops, pullovers, um, you know, responding to family violence incidents, whatever we're doing, we're always, now you have to practice these techniques. So it gives them that, that opportunity to go beyond just learning about it. Now they have to apply what they've learned. I know when I was on the street uh, years ago, I used to tell people that the young officers coming out said, you know, you can go out here and you can play Billy Badass all you want. And what you're going to find is you're going to find that there's somebody out there that is a better ass than you are. And you will find them if you go out there looking like that. And the best, you know, I got in very few physical fights when I was in law enforcement and because it, I found it the way you present yourself, the way you carry yourself, the way you talk. I used to tell them the idea is to convince the person on the other side that well, may, this guy's kind of this guy's awfully calm. He may know he must know something that I don't want to find out. I said so that way, you know, it, it's one of those things where you talk the person into getting talk the person down, and they voluntarily get in a car rather than having to get close to them, fight them, and drag them into a car because. That's almost always a, a lose situation when you get into trying to force somebody into a car. And you know what? The application of force is never pretty. Absolutely. So any application of force, justified or not, when you view it on body cam, looks bad. It always looks bad. I mean, it's very seldom do you see an application of force that says, oh, that didn't look too bad. Yeah, that uh, looked pretty good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, um, again, you get back to, I think, you know, I don't think, I know that it's working for us at Gwinnett County because, again, we get back to last year alone, 254, you know, incidents where we applied force out of over a half a million calls for service. You know, you talk about force, and one of the big things that was seen was people standing around watching while people had their, you know, knee on the neck with like James Floyd. Um 
what do what is the requirement or the policy and procedure with regards to um, the excessive force or alternatives before shooting and you know when you do something are they are they actually required to to talk about it to tell to if you see something say something well again um as far as the exhausting all alternatives before shooting or, or using force the way our policy is is you should use the least amount of force necessary to complete that lawful objective so you know you should always be looking at the least amount of force to apply at any one time as far as the duty to intervene if someone sees excessive force being applied uh, or you know or used on someone it has always been a practice of our agency to do that we've always in many police policies you have one section that's the the section that's got about 50 60 or 70 duty regarding this duty regarding that duty regarding oh, yeah. to have a home telephone duty regarding you know that you know we always had a duty regarding um, that ability to intervene but it applies to all situations not just force situations if you see someone acting wrong um, whether they be committing a crime whether they be violating policies if they're not acting as one of our employees should act there's always that duty of an employee any employee to bring that information forward uh, what we have done in light of what's recently occurring here is we've now restated that in our force policy. Mm -hmm. So in addition to it always being something that we've been expecting our folks to do, and it's been in that section of our policy manual, that duty, it wasn't specific to force. It was, it was relating to anything. Uh, but we also have now added it to our force policy that if you see it, you're required to intervene. And if you're not able to intervene, you're going to have to be able to explain why you why weren't you able to intervene. Uh, and beyond intervening, you're also required to immediately report it to a supervisor. So, you know, it's two-step. You're required to intervene, and you must report it. There is no option not to. You know, the, this idea of, well, he was the, he was, he'd been on longer than I have. I assumed he was going to do. With, I know the training that you all do. That's no longer, not that it has been, but it's not acceptable. It's not a acceptable position to take because if you know better and you know it's wrong, whether you've been there for 10 years or 10 days, when you know something's wrong, you know that the officer that has more experience than you also knows it's wrong. So intervening is, is it's not a, a way of looking you know, belittling yourself, looking small, trying to belittle the officer that's doing it. It's just trying to make things right. It's trying to make things right, and it holds everyone that's on the scene accountable, not just that. Um, again, if your only excuse is, I didn't intervene just because that was a more experienced officer, but bad. in your heart you said, but I knew it was wrong, you're you correct. Yeah. That's a bad answer. Yep. Uh, so, uh, again, the policy in and of itself has always been there. It hasn't been specifically in our force policy, but it has been a policy of our department. Again, and I'll say it goes beyond force for us. It's in anything you see. If you see anything that they do that's not right, you need to be bringing that forward. Yeah, and a lot of people, the training nowadays is understanding, especially for the older officers that have been there for a long time, that this is what's expected. Yes. You know, don't think that somebody's quote-unquote being the snitch you've got to understand they're doing their job you weren't doing yours 
And that's the important way that that thought process has got to change for these older officers. And I know y'all work overtime getting those older officers schooled in what's the correct way and the, the correct response. This is what they're going to do, so be prepared for it. Right. And, and I think I think that comes to culture as well, your your police culture. And I'll say that I think that's, again, where we're ahead of the curve uh, is because it's been part of our police culture for many, many years. So it's not something that we have to train and change behavior because it's been expected behavior for 25, 30 plus years that this has always been uh, the culture and the, the thought of our agency. It's always been that way for us. Well, that's the only way to do it. It's, it's through the training, through experience, and through repeat, repeat, repeat. Correct. Absolutely. Um, now, officers are required by policy, I know, to exhaust all alternatives before using that gun. Mm-hmm. What are the different alternatives and the levels that y'all have? With uh, And I know that it's probably a very simple question because most all police departments have the same progression, but kind of describe what y'all's progression is. Well, you know, a, a lot of folks don't realize, but just the officer's presence alone uh, is, first more, level. is that first level. You know, again, that first level is the presence and that ability to try to de-escalate. Uh, again, if the opportunity presents itself, you want to use the least amount of force as necessary before going there. So, you know, what we have is things called soft, empty hands. That's just where you're grabbing hold of someone, trying to control them with maybe an armbar technique or something. Or even a touch on the shoulder or on the elbow rather than a grab on the elbow. That's correct. Just grabbing them and just holding them, not wrestling with them or fighting with them, but just using that just to kind of say, hey, you know, um, I've got you. This is not going anywhere good if you yeah. continue. Right. You know, I'm, I'm giving you a lawful command. I want you to comply. And, again, while you're doing this, you're talking, trying to get that voluntary compliance. But, you know, beyond that, then you have, you know, physical force with the application, you know, of your hands, body, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that, um, you know, where they become strikes, you know, hand strikes and things like that. Uh, we also have uh, – chemical munitions so we have pepper spray mm-hmm. which many agencies have we have you know it burns but it's not fatal it's not fatal been there done that you know <laughs> we have uh aspatons um we have tasers been so, there done that too <laughs> so we have a lot of different alternatives before you have to get to a deadly force encounter and i think creating those alternatives reduces your likelihood to have to use deadly force because you have options you have force options when you start eliminating force options, you go from zero to 100 because there's nothing else in between. So exactly. I think having force options, uh, and it's my belief, that that's beneficial not only for our officers, but for those folks that we have contact with because we're not limited to what our options are, are going to be. Now, if someone presents a gun, you know, we're not going story. to go through that progression right away. Exactly. It, it's, you know, but They've taken that to the, to the end progression. Correct. But, again, we go back to training, and we go back to everything we do. And, again, you know, I hate to keep harping on the 254 applications of force in 2019, but it shows you that these things work. Well, the important thing is letting the person that's on the other end that you're dealing with understand that they're the person that's going to – determine the level that it that it goes to i've had situations where you know i said i've had to deal with people and say you know it's obvious they were fixing to want to fight and it's like well you know we'll do this if that's where you really want to go 
but just understand I'm not paid to lose. I'm paid to win. Mm-hmm. And we'll go to wherever it has to do, but eventually you're going to do what I'm asking you to do. And it's amazing how often people will think about that for a second and do what you do with the. Let's do this the easy way. There's no sense in us doing it the hard way because the end result's going to be the same. And the reality is, more times than not, many, Absolutely. many more times than not, the we're easy able. Way to, we'll go. We're able to get people to comply. Voluntary compliance is the is the end result is the is the first option the best option that every officer looks for and it's the option that we most often see absolutely well you know when you have any type of this stuff does Gwinnett County have a citizens advisory review board they do not Uh, again that's just something that you're uh, seeing. You know, it's been a citizen review boards and advisory boards have Come been around for many, many, many years. And mostly you saw them at, you know, you, they started off in the Northeast and they started off in things like that where there was a culture, uh, not, you know, not labeling any one agency particularly, but there was truly a culture of corruption mm-hmm. uh, and, and things like that. So those boards came into play to have that oversight. Um, but as we've seen over the last, especially over the last year, but over the last several years, there's been that growing, um, I don't want to use the word demand, but request or, you know, uh, ask of our community. To put something in place. To have something in place. You know, not to say that we're doing things wrong, but to further. And, you know, I think we've got a great relationship with our community overall. I do, too. Uh, you know, we're very lucky in Gwinnett County. We've got a, a great citizenry here overall. And, you know, we've got great support for, for the police department that we have. But that's not by accident. That's by work. That's by building relationships. That's by building community trust. That's what body cameras does. Absolutely. That's what our force reporting requirements does. It, it creates an environment where things have to be reported. Things have to be reviewed. Uh, there's things that are there for the public so that they can have trust in us. And the way I look at a community advisory board, that's just another piece. It's another piece in build in maintaining that trust that we have with our community. I don't want to say build the trust because I think we already have the trust of our community for the most part. Um, there's some, maybe enhancing it, you know. Uh, but it's it's always about enhancing it. And like we said before, we're always evolving. We're always wanting to do those things. So we are currently, you know, um, researching the possibility of a citizen advisory board because again, I think that only could benefit. I think it provides more benefit than it does. Uh, anything else because again any t- and you see it at all at different levels of the the county as, at right now you know you've got the citizen review committee for the the department's budget the citizens you know have a voice in the budget process so that they understand what's going on and why not the same for us no absolutely i i've seen through the years in different agencies that come and go correct you'll have them then all of a sudden you won't have them and then it'll come back and then it'll go away and i think it's going to be something that as we move forward you're going to see more and more and it's going to be more of a stay in place but i think you're going to see those evolve a lot to where people right now think well we're going to get them in there we're going to make sure that everybody does something right and we're going to you know put the put the accent on what they do wrong and i don't think that's the purpose of them and i don't think that in the end that will be the result of them either no, and I, and I don't think it will be either. And, again, there's so many different models of yep. review boards, Absolutely. advisory boards out there. Um, but what you have to find is what's right for your community. 
what's needed for your community. And I think that's the balance that we're looking for here is, you know, we want to maintain and further develop the relationship that we have so that we continue to, to keep the trust of our community. And we think that, you know, by by working with our community and being open, not only with what our policies are, what our processes and, and complaint processes are, but also about involving them as we review and revise those as we evolve. Well, I've seen through working with the police department here in Gwinnett County through my security company that cooperation has been just right there and it's always available and the cooperation has been tremendous between the public and private agencies. It's, it's, a, it's an awesome thing here in Gwinnett. Now, I know that uh, aside from all this has been great and I really appreciate all the information that you've been willing to lay out here. I know that you're also involved in a nonprofit that has police-related activities and it's called Red, Blue, and You. And could you tell us a little bit about that? Just uh, let us know I'm going to have someone out here later in the month to really talk in depth about it. But tell us about Red, Blue, and You. Well, I don't remember exactly which year, I don't, uh, but it's only been four or five years. I, I, again, I don't know exactly when Red, Blue, and You started. Uh, but Red, Blue, and You was started by a local businessman here in Gwinnett County. And it's done for the purpose of doing nothing more than recognizing first responders in Gwinnett County for what they do. It's not about giving awards. It's not about, um, you know, recognizing the best officer of the year. What it's about is just saying thank you. It's a way for the community, especially the business community as well, to, to come together each year and just say thank you for your commitment to public service, and we just want to recognize you for that. I think it's, it's awesome. It's a matter of getting together and breaking bread a little bit. And, you know, I would like to point out that that is absolutely completely funded by donations. It and is. Uh, people can become sponsors of it. We've, we're, we're sponsoring it again this year as well. And I would like to recommend that anybody that is, would be interested in maybe helping out, making a small donation, to look it up at www.redblueu dot org and that's www.redblueuyou.org and go in there and see if you can help out a little bit and uh it, it's really an awesome awesome thing yeah, and and they do it at the same time every year they do it around thanksgiving so mm -hmm. it's going to be mid-november when they'll be doing it again this year so this is a perfect time if you just want to be involved whether you want to sponsor or whether you just want to attend because yep. it's open to the public it's it's open to the public just to come in and say thanks and i can tell you right now as part of and i promote this all the time that uh, security officers have become basically first responders since 9-11 because uh, we're the first ones there on the scene and i can tell you from our industry we all appreciate the support from everyone and we look forward to being there again this year well and we thank you for that support i know red blue and you does so you know again thank you well chief i appreciate it very much uh you've given a lot of information i could talk with you probably another hour about gwinnett county and about our our wonderful county police department but um, i guess i ought to wrap it up thank you again and thank you all for joining us on case in point presented by paradigm security services Remember, you can join us live every Wednesday at 1130 in the morning, or you can listen to our show anytime you want by going to businessradiox.com. 
clicking on the Gwinnett Studio and then click on Case in Point. Be sure and hit that subscribe button and let us know you're there. It helps us out as well. Join us next week at 1130 when we'll talk with another business leader about their business and related security issues in today's world. Thanks again to my guest, Chief Brett West with Gwinnett County Police Department. And for my producer, Mike, I'm Rick Strawn. And remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets. 